Again, good evening. Good to see each and every one to come out this Sunday afternoon, as chilly as it is, but isn't it a blessing that we're able to gather with freedom, with liberty, and with personal choice and volition, even as we are tonight. I know as we're thankful for that particular privilege and honor, we're going to open, of course, the Word of God, and for the twelfth time this year, give some consideration to questions and answers which you've asked. As always, these are questions that you have at least presented to me in one way or another, and again, I use them and develop lessons around them, and we'll continue this particular approach to matters next year. So if you'd like to put questions in that box out there, please feel free to do that. And about once a month, we'll take, take the opportunity to reflect upon those as we give thought to a lesson much, much like this one. Two questions tonight, and the first one that we'll come to very shortly after this introductory lesson is this. I find it rather useful to ever keep in mind the bottom idea on that slide. The only reason these questions and answers are, of course, something that we would wish to invest a sermon in would be because it's our conviction this book has answers. It's not like the newspaper. It's not like other writings of men. It's our absolute conviction that the eternal answers are found within it. I would be quick to say that doesn't mean that Randy's presentation of it is always right. Now, that's the best I'm able to do, and I may well be at fault, but I think that I try my best to at least make use of the information available to at least cause us to think somewhat about answers to the questions that have been asked. The first question of the night tonight has to do with time, which was a part of our sermon this morning, but it's not nearly the same. Here's the question. Please discuss the usage of B.C. versus A.D., when was the current calendar developed? There's quite a bit involved in this question, and I will try, I think, as best I can to sort through that and get us to some matters that might well at least present to the answer. And if it doesn't, as always, feel free to maybe write another question, put it in that box, and I'll try to do a better job, at least on the second occasion. But notice again, several things, B.C. versus A.D., and separately, what about our current calendar? You've probably heard me many times mention the Hebrew calendar. You'll notice that other parts of the world have their calendars. Well, where did the current calendar that we use come from? We'll discuss that here in just a few moments. First things first. You'll notice near the top of that slide, it's been my conviction for a long time that the present calendar that you and I use is a strong confirmation that Jesus the Christ walked on this planet. Atheists and infidels and others who, in fact, have the nerve to call into question that Jesus ever existed, the current calendar we use and that they use all of their life, in many ways, speaks overwhelmingly to the existence of Christ. Let me share with you why I might be in a position to say that. You may note near the beginning of that slide, the very phrase B.C. that was mentioned in the question, it literally means before Christ. And so those dates that are referred to that way means that those events transpired before Jesus came to the planet. All those dates count backward. So on the slide, I've listed just a few examples. For example, the Persians defeated the Babylonians in 539 B.C. That's 539 years, roughly, prior to the birth of Christ. On the other hand, David ruled as the king of Israel at approximately 1,000 B.C. And since the numbers again count backward, the ruling of David occurred before 
the Persians defeated the Babylonians. We just have to get used to the fact those numbers count backward. Now you'll notice that, of course, many other dates might be mentioned as examples of B.C., but let's go ahead and solidify the A.D. part of this and then pull some of those thoughts together. A.D. does not mean after death. Now that's something that you and I maybe at least on occasion have heard someone say, but A.D. does not mean after death. It, it comes from the Latin phrase that means anno domini, in the year of our Lord. In the year of our Lord. You and I live in 2022 A.D. in the year of our Lord. The very calendar we use is a powerful confirmation that Jesus existed, that He lived, He walked this planet. That being noted, you might then appreciate those numbers, of course, count upward. Some examples on the slide. Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. So that's approximately 70 years after Jesus was born. Not only that, though, you might note this example, Constantine became the sole Roman emperor in 324 A.D. Second example. As I mentioned earlier, a third one, you and I live in the year 2022 A.D. But of course, that phrase, in the year of our Lord, should at least be powerfully represented that the phrase Lord is referring back to Christ. It's not referring to Muhammad. It's not referring to Buddha or any of the other so-called leaders. It's referring to none other than Jesus the Christ. Now, finally on that slide, I should be quick to say that there are those living in our current day who have a rather powerful political agenda in mind, and they would wish to remove all references to Christ in the calendar or any other way. And that means, as you can see on the slide there now, has become a rather common occurrence, not of B.C. versus A.D., but of C.E. versus B.C.E. C.E. means common era. Notice no reference to Christ in that. B.C.E. is before common era. No reference to Christ in this. May I be quick to say that most of our modern textbooks, most of our modern other writings have come to use that, which is sad. Because for reasons we're about to see later tonight, of course, the calendar was constructed for a reason. And it was constructed for the appreciation that well should be kept in mind about A.D. in the year of our Lord. As you come to the bottom of that slide, I thought it might be wise to think somewhat then about before our modern calendar was constructed, what were some other ways that humankind referred to events or dates or the passage of time? It probably isn't that surprising that the way in which it was most often done by individuals in various countries and in various locales was to use some major event as the basis for the timing. The Bible, in fact, uses this. You notice references to the earthquake. And something happened two years after the earthquake in Amos chapter 1. Clearly that earthquake was a significant and sufficiently notable event that when Amos made that reference, all others would know what earthquake he was talking about. And furthermore, the dating with respect to it. Two years with respect to that earthquake. In the second year of Darius the Mede, 
The book of Daniel makes frequent reference to him, and so you'll notice frequently not only with respect to him, but with respect to many of the other rulers of the Old, of the, of, of the Old Testament, often things were dated with respect to the years that the current monarch was ruling. So in the 13th year of King Solomon, or in the 20th year of King Manasseh, you get the idea. As those kings are mentioned, then things could be dated with respect to the time they took office. Maybe one final example of that would be the one I mentioned in Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. One more time, a reference to the particular time that a certain event took place in the reign of a certain king. But now you and I can put that together with something we've already noted in the lesson tonight. I mentioned the Roman Empire. It wasn't at all unusual for the Roman writers to make use of events with respect to the founding of the Roman Empire. Rome was so great, in their mind at least, Rome was so expansive, in their mind at least, that things could be dated with respect to when the founding of Rome took place. In fact, many references throughout the various writings, if you go back to the old Roman writers like Tacitus or some of those, they'll date things with respect to the founding of Rome. Let's get to our calendar, shall we? You'll notice about a third of the way down that slide. It came to be recognized that there were problems with the Roman calendar. I think we all would agree that the calendar, in many ways, is a complex idea. Think about our calendar. 365 days in a year, and once every four years, throw in an extra day. Now, if you just stop a moment and give thought to it, if one does not exert effort to keep the calendar in line with the solar movement, it won't take very long before one will be f greatly out of step with the other one. Isn't it true, then, that we have, again, that leap day that happens, again, February the 29th, once every four years? But even that is not all that consistent, because isn't it true that there are some years that otherwise would have leap years that are not. Isn't that interesting? Everyone remember in the year 2000, there was no leap year. Interesting, isn't it? There was one in 2004, 2008, 2012, 2016, 2020, and there will be another one in 2024, and there will be another one until again the year that shall next be the one without one. But you realize the year 2000 didn't have one? You realize, of course, that the year 2400 won't have one. None of us will live that long. But it might be fair to say that the keeping up to ensure the calendar is in step with the actual motion of the sun and Earth's motion around it reminds us that there are occasional leap seconds that have to be added. Well, the ancient people didn't have all of that in regard to matters at hand. And so over time, the calendar came to be rather mistaken. That is to say, Earth's movement around the sun from one year to another would be greatly different because they didn't have the right number of days in a year. You and I know that for the most part, the Hebrew calendar was a mess. If you look at the Old Testament, you find that the Hebrew calendar was completely lunar. It was based on the moon and not the sun. Now that adds a whole new level of complexity because when does the new moon occur? Obviously you can't see it. 
And so you have to look for the first sliver of light that appears. What do you do if it's a cloudy night? You may well be a day late, maybe two. Point is, the issues with regard to the lunar calendar of the ancient Hebrews was a rather, rather notable struggle. Over time, the calendars came to be out of step. And so the time came that the Roman emperor named Julius Caesar, you've probably heard of his name, our month of July is named after him. Every time we refer to July, named after him. And so Julius Caesar made the commissioning, made the declarations you can see on the slide. He decreed that a review of the calendar be made. The suggestions that he made were overwhelmingly adopted. And you may also notice that the time came that the usage of Christ as the reference for these calendars came to be in order. Now, I close that slide by, by noting this, as far as I know, this was the first overwhelmingly accepted occurrence of this. Pope John Paul I, in the year 525 A.D., as you and I would call it, made this statement that he commissioned a monk to do a careful study of the calendar and to set forth one that would be correctly in step based on Christ. The monk's name was Dionysius. The second part of that I didn't even include, but Dionysius Exiguus, E-X-I-G-U-U-S, is the way the second name of that is in fact spelled. And so he prepared a table in which the occurrences of Easter were highlighted for the Catholic Church you know the recognition of Easter is very important. Easter, of course, they wish to be highlighted and celebrated exactly in accordance to what they thought was proper. And hence, a study was made. A calendar came out of that study. In that study, the birth of Christ was assigned to 1 B.C. That's what Dionysius assigned it, but he based it on Christ. I'd like you to keep that in mind as I turn the slide to the next one. With that in mind, would you now not highlight that here, well over 500 years after Christ had lived, here was a monk who was convinced that he lived and constructed a calendar based on him. I hope you and I never questioned or doubt that Jesus existed. He walked on the planet just like the Bible said that he did. But the second part of that statement is this. About 500 years after that time, you'll notice again that same kind of study I just made and the construction of our modern calendar. This which you and I still use to this day came out of it. One thing about it though, Dionysius was mistaken about one thing. Remember, he assigned Jesus' birth to 1 B.C. He was off by about three years. Now, we know that to be fact. We know that to be true. That's because, again, of the things that transpired and the way in which those things came to pass. I listed it four years on the bottom of that slide. So really, in the current calendar, Jesus was born in about 5 B.C. Keeping that in mind, that'll help you and me to date the various things in connection to the events in terms of the reference to A.D., the first part of the question had been A.D. versus B.C. We have endeavored to give that some consideration and some thought. 
as you come to the bottom of that slide, let's make a few final remarks about the calendar. This slide, it is my idea to at least remind us of a few things, not the least of which is this. I still believe it is a terrible, tragic sadness to try to relabel it from A.D. and B.C. to C.E. and B.C.E. I realize we must deal with that. The various writings and the various scholarly things that are presented will more often than not use it, but I hope you and I recognize the nature of the calendar as, as presented and the basis upon which that presentation was made. I would make one final observation. I so far have mentioned only A.D. Anno Domini and B.C. before Christ. On occasion, there is a third kind of reference. It also is Latin. Anno Mundi is the way in which it's written. Now, you may say, I've never heard of that one. I don't know what that one means. It is much rarer, but you at least on occasion may see it with respect to certain Bible references, and so I thought I would mention at least in passing. Anno Mundi means in the year of the world. It dates things from the creation. So the creation took place basically at 0 a.m., 0 Anno Mundi. And everything is dated then in relation to that one. I've given you a few examples. And so Enoch, that person in Genesis 5 who was translated that he didn't see death, that would have happened in 987 a.m., Anno Mundi. The flood of Noah's day happened in 1656 a.m. Now, we could equally well date those as B.C., but I thought it might be useful to highlight the A.M. portion of it. And one final one is this. What year was Abraham born? 2009 A.M. We know that for sure because the Bible allows us to count the figures from the time of the creation until the time that Abram was born. The second question that was asked of us tonight takes us to this one. How long did the children of Israel wander in the wilderness? And then according to that, how much time passed from the exodus from Egypt to the entrance into Canaan? So again, how long did the children of Israel wander in, in the wilderness upon their leaving of Egypt? And secondly, how much time passed from the exodus from Egypt into the entrance into Canaan. Clearly, a lot of correspondence between those questions. A lot of things, quite frankly, related one unto the other one. But here's some information that might be helpful as we turn to consider both of them first. You'll notice at the top of that slide, we know exactly when the children of Israel left Egypt. Do you recall that at the night, nine plagues had come? One plague was left. It was to be the death of the firstborn, and God made the declaration, Today shall be the first day of the first month to you. God changed their calendar at that time. That was to become again, basically what would be involved in the first month for them. With that said, you'll notice then, in Exodus chapter 7 to 13, we have a record of those plagues. But the statement I just made to you, comes from Numbers 33, verse number 3, wherein it was said that that night, the night that the Passover took place, was for them to be such that they left on the 15th day of the first month of that year. 
At that point, we have then a wonderful way to date the various events that were to follow it because we know they left Egypt on the 15th day of the first month. Keeping that in mind, you'll note then what follows it. We also are given this information as they proceeded to, to Mount Sinai and received the law, including the Ten Commandments. They ultimately would arrive at the southern boundary of the land of Canaan. They made that journey in two years. So, God was apparently ready to bring them to the promised land in two years. That's where they reached its southern boundary. However, when they arrived at Kadesh Barnea, something rather amazing happened. Twelve spies were sent out to spy out the land. And two of them came back and said, let's go up at once. Joshua and Caleb said, the land is ours for the taking so long as God is with us. However, the ten other spies had a very different report. They too agreed that the land was plentiful, that the land was extremely providing, but they said, we cannot take it. And in fact, the children of Israel sided with the, with, with the Tinian. They said, we, 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 they began in fact to make statements like this, let us choose a, a captain and go back to Egypt. That people were ready to go back to Egypt. You read that in Numbers 14, verse 4. However, to finish up our, our record, because they chose to not believe in God, because they chose to rebel against His will to take them into that land, God then issued to them the punishment that Brother Colonel read earlier tonight in our reading. In Numbers chapter 14, we again read the following. And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which ye search the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall ye bear your iniquities, even forty years. And ye shall know my breach of promise. You'll notice that God asserted they had broken or breached the promise that they had made with Him. They earlier had promised all that thou hast commanded will we do. Exodus 24, 7. And now here they were going back on the very thing they'd promised. And now God says, Your carcasses won't enter that land. Rather, they will drop in the wilderness, and there shall they in fact be buried. And it'll be the next generation that'll go in. On that slide then you'll note this. That leads us to the questions. How long did the children of Israel wander in the wilderness? And then correspondingly, how much time passed from the Exodus until the entrance into Palestine? You'll note about the middle of that slide, God then decreed a total of 40 years in relation to the amount of time that they would wander. Now remember, they'd already wandered two years. They had wandered a couple of years coming from Exodus out of Egypt until the southern boundary of the Promised Land at Kadesh Barnea. So 40 minus 2 would leave 38. It would thus appear that God then deemed that a total based on one, year, one day would correspond to each year, that a total of some 40 years would be the amount of wandering. But two of them had already passed. That then would lead us to say this. There was a grand total, we're told in Deuteronomy 2.14, of 40 years. So we did, cannot doubt that. A total of 40 years. But we've now seen how it was divided. 
Two of those years were wanderings with God with them. God blessed them and He hovered over them and in fact powerfully provided for them. Now it turns out He provided in many ways for them even in the other 38 years, but it was not nearly with the same level of correspondence to the blessing of God. As you and I close that slide, we then notice a total of 40 years, but there's more that we ought to say about this. It might well be in connection to two of the notable characters of that day in time. First is Moses. We are told something in Acts chapter 7 about the lifetime of Moses. If you would wish to look at verses 23 to 30 of Acts chapter 7, we are told something about the age of Moses at the time that he was at the burning bush and the age of Moses at the time in which he was able to begin the characteristic wandering in the wilderness. It's easy to appreciate from those numbers that Moses was 80 years old when, in fact, he led the people out of Egypt. And yet we know that he died at age 120, and hence a total of 40 years, exactly in harmony with the one we noted earlier, a total of 40 years. However, you might note yet another one. What about the lifespan of Aaron, Moses' older brother? We do know from Exodus 7 verse 7 that Aaron was three years older than Moses. So you'll notice that he was 83 at the time the children of Israel came out of Egyptian bondage. But you may notice that Aaron died in the 123rd year of his life. We're told that specifically in Numbers 33 verse 38. Hence, one more time exactly 40 years. Now, it might be fair to notice that also points out, interestingly, that Aaron died earlier in the same year that Moses did. As far as I was able to tell, about seven to eight months between the death of Aaron earlier that year and the death of Moses near the end of that year. At that point, as we close that slide, then we've given our attention to that second question as well. Tonight, let's close our lesson like this. We've given some thought tonight to two questions that, that you have asked. First, having to do with A.D. and B.C. And also the second one having to do with the amount of time involved in the wonder, wandering in the wilderness of the children of Israel. As always, as I said earlier, these questions and answers, I'm hopeful or helpful. I know that they give us an opportunity for you to select the subjects and for you to select the topics that we shall consider. Please feel free to utilize then that box out there and place your questions in it and we'll give some attention in the new year as we come near the end of the month of January to some more questions that might well have, have, have rest upon your mind. Tonight, let's offer the Lord's invitation. We've learned quite a bit today about time, both the lesson this morning and tonight as well. But surely our time is short. It's always our desire, without doubt, in wisdom at least, to live our life pleasing unto the Lord, obedient unto His will, and satisfactory unto His cause. If there was some, be someone in this assembly tonight for whom that's not the case, and maybe your mind is agitated, maybe your mind, you see, is being troubled by your conscience, that's one of the great blessings of having a trained conscience in the ways of the Lord. It will bother us when things aren't well. It'll stir us up when things aren't right. It may bring some sleepless nights to, to us as well. If your conscience is bothering you because you're distant from the Lord, 
realize it's not him that moved, it's you. You or I are the ones that straight away, we chose to choose a different path. We walked a different way. Aren't we told in Amos 3.3 that can two walk together except they be agreed? You and I can walk with the Lord if we agree with Him. But if we don't, He will continue walking the way that's right and we will be the ones walking in the way that's not. If tonight we could be of helpfulness, assistance, to perhaps shower encouragement upon you, we'd love to do that. And we'd use this time to encourage you. The obedience to the gospel initially, believe in the Lord. Repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized in faith. Upon that act, one walk faithfully until death. But if you stumble and fall, if it's such that habitual sin has entered into your life, repent of it. Make confession of it. He's promised to forgive. And tonight, we'd be happy to help too in whatever way we can. Brother Don has chosen a hymn of encouragement. If anyone would wish to come, do it now. While together we stand and while we sing.